it's the cold pizza podcast we're gonna start there um wow it's been like a month oh my god we're recording yeah fuck yeah it has been a while yeah you can say that one that one's okay bailey just can't say anything can i say what that's a joke no oh do you have any news before i get into the motivational oh, fuck. thing uh, yeah but i don't have it even prepared it's like a big automotive right, well, news. I, I'll, people give I'll start about. with the motivational thing then, and you can just build. We'll uh, we'll get some stuff while you're yeah, building. No, I mean I, I had some you know. things. I, I was instantly ready. I'm always ready. Cock locking. What what? Um, so, smirking, lurking, and jerking. Is that what it is? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if we can say that. One. Oh, sure you can. Uh, um, uh, okay, before we get too far into this, it's me, Bailey. I have Blair. I have RJ. I have Chance. It's a small group tonight, but we finna do some big things, fam. Everything, Chance, that whole sentence, just, I just made me want to vomit. Motivate me, my man. Oh, I'm jumping in here first. Go ahead, you All right, here, here's the deal. Um, life is too short to be unhappy, so... When you got people, there, there's some bad things in this world, dude. And uh, we're I just not. Seen this coming. <laughs> we're not getting into that. Um, no, uh, life's too short to be unhappy. So do whatever you want because we're all gonna die anyway. Not to be like real dark, but um, big life changes happening. Bigger changes on the way. I hope, and uh, we feel good. We're we're happy. So and. If a company doesn't give you days off... Oh, yes. Quit. <laughs> quit. Or interview another company, quit, and then request the days off. Yeah, so that... Give him uh, a short... Give him the abridged version, because that's uh, hysterical. Uh, no, we're going to save that. We'll let Parker tell that when he's here. Oh, I'm so excited. Um, it's funny as hell, though. Parker Gidney is coming to Pittsburgh for Vintage Grand Prix again He's been buddy for year. a while, right? Oh, yeah. He's been the homie for years, but... I literally, the first time we met was when I picked him up at the airport last year. Really? Yes. It was, like, kind of weird, but, like, it, it was cool. Like, now, like, he wants to come back, so I didn't scare him away. But, um, yeah, he flew down from Maine last year, and he was having issues this year. Uh, he got tossed to night shift, and he asked off, and then he realized he was sick of night shift, and he was like, well... Went and interviewed at another company and got offered the job. So he took that job and then confirmed with them before he starts that he can take those days off. And they're like, yeah, that's fine. So he booked his tickets yesterday and uh, he'll be here next month. So I'll let him. I mean, I guess I just told the whole story. It's not that. It's pretty. It's still funny. It's pretty great. Yeah, I mean. I love it. Um, but yeah, cool. if you're unhappy. Go make yourself happy, because ain't nobody going to do it for you. I, got I think, two pieces I think of, that's the motivation for the week. RJ says he's got two pieces. Two pieces of automotive news that I want to cover. One of them regarding your favorite company. Uh, BMW, uh, well. as our homie uh, Baron Von Grumble usually says. Um, so they announced that they're going to be doing the four-door variant. Of, of the two-door the, variant. Of the two-door variant. Of the four-door car. Of the four-door car. Yeah. So we are, uh, <laughs> they were like, we're going to take an eight series, which is essentially a seven series, which and is just a, stick an air pump on it. Which is essentially a freighter. Oh, an yeah. ocean freighter. Well, no, 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 no. They got rid of the six series. No, I Replaced with the eight. Have we you know. seen an eight in person? Yeah. The eight one is that cruises huge. around Peter's Township, M-Spar package, black, looks 
awful and great at the same time. They're yeah, they're great, but um, I think it looks very pretty. I don't but know if you guys are really a sedan. Right. Yeah, a grand coupe. It's like a. Gra- it's gonna be the six coup. series replacement. Yeah, six series grand coupe. I mean, if it's anything like the six grand coupe, it'll sell like hotcakes, like a lot of them. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, they're finally. I feel like they're trying to match up S class, finally. Because I mean, if you look at it, S class coupe, S class four door. I mean, it kind of looks the same. But anyway, I think that is absolutely amazing. It's a very pretty vehicle. I've always liked the eight series, and I like the fact that they're kind of. I don't know. They're probably kind of getting there. Kind of making it look cool, but I think oh, the six series now, is now it's, weird. Now it's spot. starting to sink in that I no longer have access to the eight series. Rip, rip. Yeah. Oh well. Could be worse. And we'll then find, we'll find a better one. And then the second piece that I want to talk about is Kia. First off, quick thoughts. Telluride. Love it. Love it. You love I, the time. Yep. Chance and I saw one the other day. They're cool. The Expo. But They're sweet. How, how much does Telluride cost? Forty. No, cheaper than that, like thirty-five. I think base one. entry is entry front-wheel drive with nothing is thirty-two-seven. All right, I want all. If I'm buying Toyota ride, it better be all-wheel drive. All right, so that's what? Thir- let's say thirty-six for an auto. Forty? No, no, no. Thirty-two for a. Max me out. What are we buying? Forty-seven to fifty-five for a premium trim SX version, and it's got optional all-wheel drive, but it looks good. It looks What's very, the name very of the um, Hyundai version? Palisades. Palisades. Yeah, Palisades. It's infinitely better than the Palisades. Infinitely. No, I think Telluride's sweet. Palisades a great track by Childish Gambino. If you're wondering. So, <laughs> all right, for a fully loaded Telluride, forty-seven grand, right? Yeah. Toyota. Highlander, Pilot, Sequoia. Yeah. Forerunner. You're gonna be in like. 68 for a fully loaded one not for a loaded four on the pro 4x no 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 i mean uh uh uh, i don't find those applicable i think highlander no highlanders the highlanders no but i'm gonna say unibody chassis on the telluride it's not body on frame a forerunner is so that puts it closer to highlander third row seating puts it closer to a highlander do you forerunner yeah forerunners come third row seat the forerunner the forerunner is essentially a tacoma that they went let's just finish off and yeah. badass. This oh, isn't our topic tonight, by the way. We're we're not gonna argue. We're getting about. into things, but I just want to say like that. I so the eight at, series Grand Coupe is gonna be really cool, and so is the Kia Telluride SX. I mean, you, if you look at it, it actually looks badass. Okay. Looks I got I got change gears. I have one. You also said news about Kia, and then you said, "What do you guys think of Kia Telluride?" That's it. Just the SX. Well, I just I just like the fact that they're doing a higher trim. It looks a little bit better. It I like the way it looks. It looks lower. They added gunmetal wheels. It's not just doesn't look like it's super cheap like a rental car. I like the Telluride, and I was talking to somebody at work the other day about it because from a plebeian perspective, from literally just like a normie perspective, that, that this guy insensitive. Well, whatever. The guy, he drives a white Jeep Grand Cherokee with tints and black wheels. There's another girl in the office who drives a black Jeep Grand Cherokee with black wheels. And to them, that's like the budget Range Rover because it looks kind of cool, but whatever. I like them, but it just, I don't get the equation. Her bag from, is Chanel, but she drive a Durango. Bet. <laughs> bet. Um, but it's like just along those lines from the outside, everybody's like, oh, it. the Kia Telluride's pretty cool. And then you talk to them about how much it costs. And they're like, no. Let, let's switch gears here, pun intended. The 718 GT4 from Porsche. Mm-hmm. I was going to bring that up. The <laughs> four liter. Flat six. Flat six. It makes what? Like 414 
horsepower, and then it's six speed. And, and dude, it's it's a mid engine GT. And no paint to sample. No paint to sample. I didn't you know get that. what we give you, and that's it. <laughs> no, and that's no, 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 no. That's that two things. That's gonna keep the cost down. So those fucking Porsche people that resell their fucking car allocations with PTS in it and all that shit. Uh, and also, I want to bet you it's faster than the GT3. You get what you get, and you don't get upset. Uh, then you're in the Camaro Corvette sort of conundrum, but where you're like, we have all of this power in this very balanced so, platform, I don't but know, don't man. overshine the top game. See, here's the thing, though. So let's go to GT racing, all right? Uh, World Endurance Championship, the GT Series, right? The Porsche 911 RSR, which mm-hmm. is Porsche's very successful race car in World Endurance GT racing, is not rear engine it's a mid-engine car because porsche knows it's faster in the middle but how air quotes rear engined is the current 911 that's like the least you know rear the engine. Tr- okay mr is midship rear engine it means engine in front of the axle but behind the driver mm-hmm. then there's rr which is what porsches are rear ship rear engine where the rear engine is on top of the rear axle Porsche 911s are RR, uh, rear engine, and Porsche Caymans are mid-engined. Mid-engine brings the center of gravity forward, creates the, what is it, the moment of polar mass is the fancy term, and it extends that actual piece of physics that it turns better if you move the engine forward a foot. Mm-hmm. And Porsche mm-hmm. admitted on the race car, but not the real car. Well, dude, it, it, it was actually, they did not like to have people looking at the back of the RSR for a while because they didn't want people to realize it wasn't rear engine. Because they didn't, like, why isn't the 911 your flagship performance car? Yeah. <clears throat> like, I'm looking here. I'm speaking just of sure. things with flat engines in the rear thing, of them. Or actually, I have two things. Reckless uh, Ron sold the Beetle last night. That's oh, all wow. I have to say. But uh, my other two pieces of news, one of which Billy just tucked on, uh, touched on. Uh, the first one is uh, Lexus was spotted at the Nurburgring testing a weird LFA. Yeah. And I'm no excited. one knows why. It has awkward uh, camouflage along the wheel arches, so it says it's like a wider-ish body version, but not really. Uh, it was a Nurburgring edition, if that matters, uh, sans the camouflage additional body pieces, but um, no one knows why, and Lexus is not, as far as I'm aware, hasn't said anything about it, which is super weird. But it, super nice. Oh, yeah, Blair's the fanboy. Yes. Uh, and guilty. the other thing I had to... Uh, the other thing I had was the new Supra, which has been around a few dinos now. It's putting more horsepower to the ground than it's supposed to make it to crank. So that's BMW versus Toyota marketing where this is the faster version. You should buy this one because this is the faster version. And all they do is just print their brochures a little differently and don't do jack shit. That hurt inside. But good news for you, though. I know. I'm excited. They're going to be fast as hell. You sound excited. I mean, (laughs) uh, I still want one. When when the used market hits, Blair's in there like fucking swimming. Yeah, but I'm I'm not there for the new market, especially not that markup. I think that you're like... Did you ever hear the Hellcat logic? No. Like, the dangerous person is going to be the third owner. First person is the person who, like, wanted the, like, car has been, like, looking at it and watching the research for years, buys it, drives it for two years, realizes it's a little too fast. Second person buys it because they loved it just as much as the first person but didn't have enough money, and then the depreciation hit and they love it. Third owner is the person who don't give a singular fuck and just hammer the hell out of it because now it's down to like 41 grand or whatever the hell it I mean like I don't think it'll drop grand. that low so okay let's look at my stupid car I bought the FRS had a certified pre-owned warranty 
which is good for... Live with a Tarzan, you said that. Oh, hell no. That thing's way out of warranty. I fixed that thing. That's a story for another day. Most fun repairs you've ever had, but we're never going to talk about it again because it sucked. Um, anyway, when I bought the Scion, it was certified pre-owned. It was a dealer demo car. The sales manager drove it. So I knew he wasn't tracking it or anything like that. Took the warranty from three years, 36,000 miles powertrain to five years, 60,000 miles powertrain. Or I'm sorry, bumper to bumper. And powertrain is now 10 years, 100,000 miles. I'm getting every penny of that extended warranty. And there's an even problem with the FRS community where if you take your FRS to a Toyota dealer where it can be warrantied and factory serviced, air quotes around that, they have no idea what a boxer motor is. They don't know how they work. They've never really worked on one. They know nothing about it. Do they even take trainings on it? Huh? Do they take trainings on it? Probably. Yeah, they do, but... Not the same as like a force. Okay, if you're changing the oil on a V6 Camry, or if you're doing, you know, an oil consumption issue on a mid-2000s RAV4, which is super common, you've seen 30 of those. Mm -hmm. How many FRSs are you getting where you got to rebuild the front seal? So what the fuck do you think is going to (laughs) happen when Joe Schmo Toyota Tech gets a Supra in for something problematic? Like, my car is consuming oil. Find out why. BMW could point out and be like, XYZ is wrong, fix this. Toyota techs are going to sit there and scratch their asshole and be like, I don't know what's wrong. (laughs) And I don't want that. And it's going to happen. And I want the extended warranty when that happens. Waiting for the used market, buy a CPO from some guy who was his fifth car and he didn't really drive it that much. And I'm going to be owner number three while being owner number two. Mm. Thrash fuck out of that car. Probably stands it for a while, but I won't beat on it for a while. I can't wait till the first bag one comes out. She gonna look minty. I, I need a bagged yellow. I really, ass. you know, I, I try to say I'm not gonna ruin that car, but yeah. <clears throat> I mean, so I hey, thanks for checking in. I'm still a piece of garbage. And on that note, we need to switch to the actual topic. Yeah, we're. I feel like we're. We are way 15 wide. minutes in. Okay, yeah, we definitely <laughs> got to the main topic. I feel like initially they're gonna go, "What the hell?" and then they're gonna go, "Oh, okay." With Supra? No, no, with our, this oh. evening's topic. Well, it's going to be on the headline for the video. True. And what is it, Bailey? We are going to talk about the greatest and not-so-greatest innovations in motorsports and... Um, safety? Racing, safety, the road automotive. cars, automotive. I don't... This is an automotive innovations podcast. In Inno- automotive. Innovations and inventions. Um, and I said motorsports. It, it's what I have to contribute is motocross related. But Blair is sitting here with two pages of notes in front of him because Blair evidently didn't do much this morning at work. Typed typed notes. Two pages. No, they are typed notes. and they're it's like scribbled on. I, ha, what what I've size been, font is that? Eleven. It's standard. Eleven. Calibri <laughs> eleven single spaced Microsoft Word without the six point barrier that's on. Fair enough. Standard Microsoft Word. That's oh, you are weird. Who finna start? <laughs> um, I'm gonna let him run the show. No, that's a bad idea. No, no, no. You you present a topic. You run the sh- run the show, and then if we have anything to contribute, we shall do so. Well, I was gonna say how we, how we do. We do a good innovation, and we do a <clears throat> bad one. All right, and we'll just kind of ping pong back and forth. I'm okay with that. Cool. Okay. Go ahead. Do we start with a bad one or a good one first? I mean. Bad news can we can we can we talk just about in general how racing works and none of us want to so open racing so race trying to go faster than the other guys you're against so you win the race so how do you go faster what do you spend do? a bunch of money There's and a, certain- a bunch of someone else's money. the the only way 
you can become a millionaire racing is if you start as a billionaire. He's right, you know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, it's, you know, there are a set of rules. Cars can be... Well, you just use the Richard Petty approach. What? Uh, Richard Petty was like one of the most notorious cheaters in NASCAR. Yeah. But and, he, and he didn't get caught until after he retired. He's like, I was a, I fucking cheated all the time. <laughs> but that's familiar. There's, correct. That's the word. Loopholes. Every set of automotive racing rules in history has <laughs> loopholes. And it's who finds this loophole and exploits it first. There's a, there's a good song about loopholes that Shannon showed us the other night. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Blair. Lead us, lead us off before Bailey starts singing. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying, like, a lot of the things that we are going to talk about are, like, either innovations that result of something tragic, which is bad, or innovations that resulted from somebody goofing around, bending the rules as far as they possibly can until the FIA inevitably bans it, and you find another way to cheat. So this one is an innovation, just a quick minute story. My dad's favorite story is to tell is... Uh, oh, actually, I do know who it is. I didn't know if I knew who it was. Um, I forget if it was Grumpy Jenkins in the drag racing world or somebody around that area. Um, in the 60s and 70s, they were... Maybe it wasn't him. Anyway, somebody that was... Uh, they, they kept having this issue where the person would pit less than everyone else. And they were like, what the hell? So they tear this whole car apart. And they're like... There's no way that, that this person is actually play, being fair and yada, 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 yada. And um, so finally the guy was like, are you done? After they had spent hours tearing the car apart. And uh, they literally had like the gas tank out of it and everything. Um, and the guy started up the car and uh, drove it away. I think he had the gas tank, like extra gas hidden in the headlights. Like in the back of the headlights. The, there is the floating rumor that they had it, uh, their roll cages when they were initially mandated were made out of way too thin tubing. And like literally, I mean like, you know, yeah. 32nd of an inch tubing. So not structurally sound. And they filled that with gas. It was worth about five, six gallons. Wild. Did yeah. you know that Grumpy's Toy 4 is in Castle Shannon? There's a woman and her husband in Castle Shannon and Grumpy's Toy 4. I'm friends with her on Facebook. Yo. Swear to God. I'm trying to see that. All right. I mean, I'm sure... Yo, slide in the DMs. You can, now. <laughs> On that note, I'm going to take a piss. <laughs> but go Ooh. ahead. <laughs> Hit me up, play. Um, I don't know. Like, the first... Like, the safety thing we got to talk about is because when humans first built cars, we're, we're driving that shit on... Things that were meant for horses, and once we hit about 40 miles an hour, things got real sketchy. We're sitting in open-top things with wheels maybe two inches wide, with no rubber contact on the ground, scooting, with no traffic signals, no law, no nothing. But I'm not here to talk about that, but people used to die a lot in motor-related accidents. And nowadays, it's kind of not that way. I mean, people still die in auto accidents, but it's not a plague like it used to be, and especially in like the '60s when things got really fast and seatbelts were still not, not really mandated. You know, bad times. Mm -hmm. But I feel like a lot of that is to be talked about because you know. Yeah, well, and I mean, you even look at racing history, and like the guys that used to do it early on, and you start looking at the stuff. So I went to the Simeon Museum in Florida, uh, Florida, Christ, uh, Philadelphia. What a terrible city. Um, it, it's got its perks. Both. They, they got cheesesteaks. Both. Um, sports teams are all trash. Um, but the Simeon Museum is actually pretty cool. So he's got everything in there from the first Shelby Daytona 
um, ever created, which is kind of a cool story behind it. Um, going all the way back to the Bugatti 57G, which is worth 40-some million dollars now. This guy has in his own private collection. But when you start looking at these vehicles of like, oh, yeah, this was a Le Mans racing vehicle in 1907, 1909, and they start and run all these vehicles that are in this museum, and they are hand-cranking the motors, and there is a dude with no seatbelt sitting next to a steering wheel that essentially has like a javelin sticking out of the middle of the steering wheel. And they were like, yeah, this one reached up to like 65 miles an hour. And I looked, I was like, what the absolute hell? These dudes are wearing goggles and leather caps going, this is safe and we can do this. And I think there was one where a person died every year. Every year at this race, there were like one or two people that would die. Oh, and it's TT. just, yeah, it's like the same way with the TT now, but it's just... It's crazy. It's just that there's they've come so far. So I looked this up because I was curious. So the step one is like uh, the Jeremy Clarkson quote plays a lot here. It's not the speed that, that kills you. It's suddenly becoming stationary that will get you every time. Uh, negative G's are super dangerous and not a good idea. The first, I looked it up to see what the first recorded use of a seatbelt was. And the computer told me that the first use in a motor vehicle is completely disputed. And they're not exactly sure of when it started coming around. There are horse coaches with simple hook and loop setups, but the most interesting I found was in 1910, there was a pilot by the name of Ben Fouloy who piloted a small aircraft for the French military for a while, and he said he wanted a belt around his lap to remain at the controls during harsh conditions and upside-down flying. That was the first time that somebody said, I need something to hold me in the plane. And Which also what year is this? 1910, which means people have been flying for a hot minute with nothing. Just hopping and go. So there were some dudes who were like, I can flip this thing upside down. With no seatbelt. And raw dog it. Yeah, but that's that's insane to me that some little guy was up in the air and he's like, oh, only when I'm upside down or I need to be strapped to the seat. Because you don't think about anything you've <clears> sat in that's designed to go fast short of a motorcycle that doesn't have a restraint system at some point. Like... A roller coaster or a car with seatbelts, obviously, mm-hmm. or a plane with the stupid lap belt. If you're a pilot, a real belt. I don't know. It's weird to think about that. That was like an afterthought. Like, huh? If I'm gonna hang upside down, I might want to be strapped into this metal object. Mm-hmm. It's probably probably smart. It's like if you're ever on the like some old mountain coasters that don't have, like not like extreme ones. Like Deep Creek has some like the the downhill one. Like some of them just don't have anything, or like the ones that are in the in the concrete tubes that go like left, right. Like you have like side. a little, yeah. You got like a little lap, lap belt. belt, and they're yeah. just like, yeah, that'll be good. So lap belts were a problem because apparently when people were crashing with a lap belt on, they were getting what they called seatbelt syndrome, where it would separate your lower lumbar discs. Don't tell me from that. the seatbelt pulling on you, and it would just, you know. Yeah, don't tell me that. My dad's Boop. my dad's got a '69 Z28 Camaro, lap belt. and it's got lap belts, but it's also got a secondary seat belt that you pull off the roof, and it comes down across. So it wasn't just a three point; it was two separate seat belts. Yeah, like the old school, like '90s automatic. Close your door in your car. And it just... Yeah, exactly, exactly. And yeah. frequently break, and people wouldn't fasten their lap belt at that point, so you know they were sliding under the seat belt and. That wasn't good either. Yeah, but this was like a two-point uh, two uh, seatbelt where you would just click them together. And then I was laughing because, <laughs> like, I never thought of that. Or I always thought, like, okay, if you did get in an accident and for some reason your head were to, when I'm driving it, hit the steering wheel. Or your head is going to slap off of the metal 
dash that's in front of you. That's uh, that's no bueno. But I didn't know about the separating of my uh, upper and lower half of my body, which, which is, is an added bonus, I guess. Which is why three-point seatbelts became a thing. Shout out uh, Volvo, who actually picked up a designer from Saab. Can we guess the year? Yeah. You didn't say the year yet, right? No, I didn't say the year yet, but I got the year right here. I 69! Got, That's... I got the first car that a three-point seatbelt was installed in is standard equipment. Volvo 210. Anyone else? I'm going to say Volvo 210 in 1971. Chance. 72. What, what car? Oh, I don't know. Uh... Yeah, I don't. The P6, what do they call it? The P1600. Whatever the fuck that is. You're was. close. 59 Volvo PV500 had a three-point seatbelt in it. And really? the first car that it was standard equipment was a 1959 Volvo 122. Uh, and actually, the big deal with that is a guy named Niles Golan <coughs> helped design it. He used to work for Saab and helped design some of the first ejection seats. For aircraft, he helped design the three-point safety belt. What did you say that the car was? It was a Volvo... PV544, technically. Uh, what was the second one? A 122? Vo 1959 Volvo 122. Okay, so if you search Volvo 220, which... Uh, you get excavators. Um, oh, hell yeah, dude! What kind of motor comes in the escalator? Dude, what kind of seatbelts does that thing got? What does that escalator know. have? Yeah, no, so that's escalator. an escalator. It's an excavator. No, I said escalator by mistake. The escalator is the thing at the mall that I'm not very good at getting one and off of. Are you afraid of escalators? So are no, most four-year-olds. Like, he sounds like he's afraid of escalators, guys. Not, escalators, is this, escalators, is this escalators. an intervention now? We're having mm, an intervention. Seriously, like talk, Blair? Yeah. Like, talk about your escalator fears. Can we turn the recording off? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm self-conscious about it, guys. So, no, just, just kidding. So, when, so I guess that immediately leads me to from seatbelts, I immediately want to go into airbags. Yeah. So, you got some it's, literature it's so on airbags? Horrible, but I want to I want to talk more about seatbelts. Okay. You want to talk about racing and why seatbelts killed a lot of racing drivers? That's more interesting than fucking regular safety equipment. Um, this is what I brought up. The, you guys have heard the term. I know you guys have, but there's something called a Hans device, head and neck system, which holds your head in place when you get in a wreck. Because the big problem used to be is we got really smart and put a bunch of crumple zones, which are spots of a car that are designed to like actually to absorb the impact. So people look at a new car that wrecks, you're like, oh, it's so fucked up compared to an old car. But it's, it's like designed to do it's that. It's designed to, for your safety. to crumple to save your life. But the problem was they put these stiff steel chassis that didn't really have crumple zones in race cars and put drivers in five-point harnesses. So when they hit the wall doing a lot of miles per hour, their whole neck would snap forward and frequently break seat belts, break the seat mounts, their heads would hit the dashboard and result in something that I like to call the basilar skull fracture, which killed over 84 verified racing deaths. Before Hans devices were implemented. And the amount of Hans devices, or the amount of deaths since the formal implementation of racing series of Hans devices is two. From unrelated incidents. That were not because of the of G-forces. The big ones being, uh, in 1994, the name that everybody loves, Ayrton Senna. He also, his technical cause of death was traumatic brain injury from the steering shaft entering the base of his head and going out the top. Jeez. But in addition to that, he had a basilar skull fracture. 
And your basilar skull that you're not thinking about is touch the bottom of your eye sockets and those bones, and then touch on the inside of your ears, and then touch the lower back of your head. That is one solid bone plate. And a basilar skull fracture is when that breaks. And that killed Roland Ratzenberger the day before Ayrton Senna died by hitting the wall. He died of a basilar skull fracture that Ayrton Senna witnessed. Ayrton Senna, during the race, suffered a basilar skull fracture in addition to that. And then, in bigger terms, NASCAR drivers, within eight months, there were four deaths related to basilar skull fractures in NASCAR racing, one of them being Dale Earnhardt Jr. That everybody remembers. Senior. Senior, I'm sorry. Senior. I added the junior. Dale J is the person that we do it for. Yes. Well, we do it for all Dales. We do it for all of the Dales. Every In, Dales. Including the Dale that works with. Number three, rest in peace. But for real, uh, right here I have Adam Petty, turn three at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. His throttle stuck wide open into turn three, and he hit the wall doing 191 miles per hour. Yeah, that seems safe. Eight weeks later, same circuit during practice. Kenny Irwin Jr. smacked the wall. Uh, same turn, same corner, same reason. Shortly after his throttle stuck wide open, no brakes. I mean, the motors made 900 horsepower at the time and would overpower the brakes. Mm. Whenever he died, NASCAR mandated there are kill switches on the steering wheel now. That wasn't a requirement back then. Uh, Tony Roper in October of 2000, a similar incident, slid basically towards the wall on the inside of a turn and sucked up into the wall at 150. And then, of course, Dale Her Earhart Jr., Daytona Speedway, last lap of the race, uh, made contact and spun up into the wall 160 miles an hour. To clarify again, Dale Earnhardt Sr. Sr., fuck. I'm sorry. Um, I actually, I listened to the Joe Rogan podcast from, like, last November mm -hmm. when Earnhardt Jr. was on. Mm-hmm. You don't really think about it as much, I guess. Um, I came from a background in racing with dirt bikes, motorcycles, um, motocross in particular. There's a lot of concussions involved in moto racing in general. And, um, and a lot um, of sport, other sports. Well, a lot too. of other sports football too. Football. Big, I, I went one. from football to dirt bikes, and that was a terrible decision. And then you ended up buying a legacy. What went wrong? Just All of the compounded... Okay. I have a Subaru, too. Um, no, so I'm just going to kind of build on what Blair was already saying, because there's... Um, but with... You said about um, Earnhardt. Earnhardt Jr. was on Joe Rogan. He had serious issues with concussions he had like 12 in like a two and a half year span or something like equilibrium all messed up really couldn't eat couldn't focus you go you know who fixed him huh. doctor at upmc he was coming to really? pittsburgh yeah um mickey collins i think his name is dr mickey collins and i actually looked it up he works with the steelers and the pens and everybody mm -hmm. I was like, there's no way I'm going to get a consult with this dude because he's doing professional athletes and everything. You go straight on UPMC's website, you can schedule an appointment right there. Really? Yeah. He's, like, pretty accessible, apparently. But, um, apparently he's the best. Do we want to shush Josh? He's on the phone downstairs. Yeah, I think he's all right. He's had to run. We'll see how good we're going to go through. Um, 
Yeah, so if you hear any background noise there, it's RJ's roommate, you know, our, our friend Joshua. I don't think he's been on here before. Um, but no, with motocross, similar to a Hans device, to the Hans device actually like holds your head and neck a little snug, more yeah. more snug than the Liat brace that a lot of um, motocross athletes, off road athletes wear. Um, I wore one for about two seasons and there were a lot of issues because I don't know if it's like a plastic or like a carbon composite body on the thing and then it's got pads on it too, but it sits directly on your collarbones and then, um, the back plate that goes like down your spine between your shoulder blades you don't you don't think about it but that's a detachable part it's got like two little hex screws in it well the plate that the screws go through is carbon fiber well carbon fiber breaks if it's hit in the right direction the problem is that plate the way that the carbon fiber lays and the way that it all bolts together that's the strongest direction for carbon fiber. So people were having issues with, they'd wreck with this plate down their back and end up breaking their back. Like there were several issues. I don't have all the statistics that Blair has, but people were having issues with that. I believe Trey Kennard had the issue with that. He's a professional or was a professional. I'm not so up to date on everything now, but, and I know people, because it sits directly on your collarbones, they were like, oh yeah, it's going to, save your neck and could potentially save your life but nobody was warned that hey it's gonna break at least one of your collarbones if you do get off hard enough so uh phrasing um <laughs> pause am i actually pausing no no, no, no it's no. it's a figure of speech okay. there, um press that <laughs> for respects <laughs> um but then Liat Brace makes one, and then Alpine Stars also makes one. I actually bought the Alpine Stars Brace right before I quit racing, and I never even got to wear it because I, I think I did get to wear it, but I wore it for like 25 minutes before Justin Hess, name drop, um, just saw him for the first time a little while ago. He actually blew up my race bike and rear-ended my truck all in about... 90 minutes time so that was kind of cool and that's like a new record yeah well that was like the end of the motocross era for bailey but um supposedly the alpine stars brace is a little safer it doesn't sit as high up it was more comfortable i thought and the back piece is all plastic so if you do end up wrecking instead of having the carbon composite piece shoved into your spine and breaking your back um the alpine stars brace is designed to explode on not explode but shear on impact josh is going to sit here and eat tacos so <laughs> if you hear any of that it's tacos it's, it's tacos. tacos all right so i think what they do say they are oh, man. Oh, man. In case anybody's ever finds... TFTI. Anybody from Pittsburgh is listening to this, or you come to Pittsburgh, 
The best tacos in Pittsburgh are in the South Side on, I think it's 13th it's Street. 12th Street. Dose is 12. 12. Whatever. 12th <laughs> Street. Dose Taqueria. Oh, shit. <laughs> you lived in South Side how long? And you just figured out that Dose means 12 in Spanish? I only lived there for like three years. Homie, I took <laughs> two years of Spanish and had concussions both both. I, I didn't take semesters. Mexican, so I don't know. Can I say that? No, it's Spanish, you ass. Wow. Didn't you oh. learn anything from Michael Reeves' video we watched last night? <laughs> you can only make fun of races that you are. Uh, I'm probably I'll take the ancestry stuff. It's probably one percent in me. <laughs> it's somewhere in there. Um, all right, so I think we should. How, how much should I, uh, how much stuff do you have that's, that's safety related, or is it most of it's speed related? I have safety related, and then I have aerodynamic and other interesting innovations. Okay, well, so I'm thinking we should do. Can we'll I th- can I touch on my other? One, the, the, the tear-offs and the roll-off systems for, like, goggles that I've Yeah, that is actually together. really important that nobody thought of. Uh, yeah, go ahead. All right, well, this is... It's like a blessing and a curse, I feel, because tear-offs, it's a good... It's a very good concept. For those of you that don't understand what tear-offs are, um, they actually use them on race cars as well. It's a clear, laminated... Um, basically a visor that goes across the windshield of the car and as the car takes debris or rubber or bugs bugs rock chips and whatever's going to scratch the windshield or potentially damage the windshield of the car and limit visibility when they pit they tear one of these laminated strips off of the top of the windshield and then they have clear vision again it's like a screen protector on your phone, except there's seven of them stacked on top of each other. Is that on your seven? Is that I mean, standard? That's just, I mean, I imagine for 24-hour Le Mans, do they have to well, have Well, I was just... I didn't know if there was, like, a standard... If you were driving Le for Mans 24 hours... I know they do, but still. They, they have tear-offs, too, don't they? they? We're talking now, most, race most cars, Le Mans are enclosed now, aren't they? Uh, the old prototypes always be open. But they, oh, have, okay. they have tear-offs as well. Okay. So, the concept with this is to regain visibility. Motocross, I don't know so much about like MotoGP and I don't know anything about street bikes. They, they, they do tear-offs too? MotoGP guys use tear-offs. Okay. And you can have tear-offs for the street, but F1 you're a real try-hard if you have tear-offs yeah, for the Well, street. you're an asshole if you have tear-offs for the street because you're not going to go back and clean them up and that's where I'm getting to on this. They're a great concept. They are terrible for the environment. And I'm not trying to stand here and play like... Yo, business idea. Biodegradable tear-offs. We, Somebody go make a billion dollars You just that. sold us out right in front of the mask. I, re- I, mean, I realized I that after I said it. it. Beat us to the it's a, I've already, I've actually already trademarked and copyrighted it, so fuck y'all. Guaranteed you won't make money. Okay. Guaranteed. Well, well, here's the deal. Yeah, chance is right, for one. It's um, like you waking up and saying, I'm going to get into international shipping and think you're going to compete with FedEx. Dude, spend a whole bunch of money cleaning up the ocean of all plastic and shit. He yeah, didn't, he, he didn't more or less that. than the Kardashians. Okay, you? let's let's get let me continue. You may. So, tear off lenses for motocross goggles are cool. They generally come in like packs, like pre laminated packs of five or ten, and when they're laminated like that, you can double and triple stack and have. 40 tear-offs. 40 tear-offs. Well, in a mutter, you're going to need them. If you're not at the front of the pack in a mutter, you're going to need them. The real bitch is when you go to pull one off and you, you only, and you pull the entire pack of them off. 
Guess how I know? Have Who done did it? Oh, I've I've been there, and I've never ran long enough motos to say, oh well, we're gonna need twenty tear offs, so I'd put like one pack on them at a time, so you have five lenses. You tear the first one, like where did the crack lighter come from? <laughs> Jesus. At, least, at least he warned me. You didn't see us try to light cigars with that like two weeks ago? No, you numbnuts. <laughs> Listen, light the damn candle and be done with it. But also, I want okay. to also so, biodegradable tear-offs do exist already, and they're supposed to degrade at the same rate as leaves. And they're actually not that expensive. Yeah, but you gotta get them from Europe, so it's gonna take forever for them to get here. That's not my issue. Well that's not my name. The other the other innovation with that is they have roll-off systems for goggles, which it's a canister on either side of the goggles and you can pull it like it has like a pull tab and you pull and it just pulls a clear film strip across never used one don't really know how it works i actually had to youtube it to see how it works i would imagine when you're pulling it like that it pulls from one canister and pulls it into the other canister like rolls it back up and then you just take that roll out of the mm. other one i feel like it could be kind of awkward after a while it i feel like the one that it pulls to is just going to get jammed with mud and dirt and all sorts of stuff but yeah that, i mean that's how the f1 cameras work <laughs> they have a circular I, and i never realized that until globe, I, yeah. yeah until i saw all of the water go from one side all the way across the other side i went <gasps> You geniuses. Yeah, it's that's actually a, really smart. Yeah, it's a, it's a continuous circle, and, and it's got scrubbers and, on either yeah, side. Yeah, it's got and scrubbers, right. Rotate huh. section by section by section by section. I don't know. Theoretically, you're supposed to go back and pick up tear-offs. Uh, obviously, you're not going to find your own, but pick up trash when you're at the track. There, That's that's my other... Um, pick up trash anywhere. Yeah, pick up trash anywhere, because... We love the earth. There's lots of pieces of garbage out there. Yeah, they're all they're all talking to you on this podcast. Yes, right now. we are all right here. Speak for yourself. Um, Don't act like you're better than us. I'm still garbage. So continuing in this trend of motorcycle safety that I guess that that we're sort of talking about. Um, tell the story. Tell the story. Tell the story. Which one? The Don't one whisper. <laughs> Is that creepy? Um, no, it's just not gonna pick it <laughs> so, up. Airbags uh, in cars. <laughs> Airbags are a big deal in cars. But recently, uh, two companies called uh, Dionese and Alpine Stars decided, decided to put airbags in their racing suits for motorcycle racers. Uh, this is mostly for road, uh, road motorcycling, but this applies to dirt bikers as well. And the suit has a sensor in it that senses if you are off the bike and about to hit the ground, it de- deploys an airbag. Well, a bunch of them, actually, inside of the suit, around your collarbone, your neck, your back, your arms. So when you hit the ground, it'll destroy your body. Um, <laughs> it's pretty cool. Uh, and this is funny, because over this past weekend, uh, MotoGP race in Catalonia, Marquez had won the race. Uh, so he gets off his bike near the race to go, like, he's going to hug fans or his team or whatever. And he walks, he's in the crowd, he's talking to everybody, and his suit randomly just goes off. So he looks like the Michelin Man. Like, I gotta find a gift for that. It's, that's it's, gonna be funny. As it shit. is very funny. Um, but uh, it's a super, super cool technology. And now, actually, Dianze announced today 
you can now buy standalone airbag vests that you can use with any suit, which is no one, there is no other, as far as I'm aware, no other brand supports this. I'm going to wear one to Sean and Courtney's wedding. Yeah. See if I can wear it with any suit. Oh, fuck you, Bailey. Um, but you, it looks like a vest. You put it on under whatever you're wearing, and you it has a little computer in it, and whatever you, you program it. And so if you wear whatever you're, you're riding on the street, you could be wearing another brand suit or whatever. When you go have an off and you're about to hit the ground, it blows up. Hopefully, you know. Is this your blow up animation? Yep. Blows up. Looks like that. It, their deployment's like 50 milliseconds or something like that. It's Don't, very fast. Now, I feel like I've been, because we do, Chance and I, shameless plug, we do N2 track days. Um, and I want to say, didn't Homie with the S1000, didn't he have a standalone suit that had like a. No, he, yes, but not with not quite like a. Why a, do I see like a random suit that has an airbag and it's just gonna crush your rib cage? It doesn't. It, doesn't, it doesn't go in. It, it goes, goes out. But inside any suit. No, no, no. It's worn on the outside of the suit. No, you wear the inside suit. His vest is the inside. Okay, suit. so I'm saying. So go. What you're thinking of? I'm snug like a sausage inside my. I'm, okay, I'm a bigger dude. Granted, but so, like I'm snug in there. So two things. What you're thinking of, RJ, uh, is the over the shoulder thing. That yeah. he had with the lanyard, that's a little different. It's not quite the same. Uh, it's it's more so to protect your neck and your collarbone. The Dainese and Alpine Stars ra- airbag racing suits, Dainese's system is called D-Air, for example, is a more all-inclusive body system. Um, it's a little bit smarter, a little bit higher tech. What you're, think- what you're thinking, they're not like, you don't blow up like like this. Like, there's like maybe... Maybe an inch. Of okay, well, vocal, well, vocalize what you just did. You said you're thinking. They, so it's a, it's not when you think of like it, like when I said the Michelin Man, like you know you don't blow up like a big not, marshmallow. It's not six inches of bag. It's no, like it's like two like an inches inch. of bag. It's like okay. an inch, maybe. An but inch here's what I'm saying. Let's say you have a really good, high quality leather race suit that fits you really tight and really well. Let's say in a weird event that you're not crashing, and if it explodes on the inside of that suit, let's say nothing stretches, the seams don't move. Does it just crush your rib cage? I'm where does sure this, that... Where does it vent to? I'm sure that they thought of that. So I have a nice burn on the inside of my wrist from years ago when a Scion FRS airbag... Okay, those airbags are not the same as airbags in a racing suit. Uh, oh, so are you telling me these suits are $4,700? Uh, yeah, that is a good... Po- race, if you airbag suits are very expensive... And if they are deployed, you have to send them back to the manufacturer before you can use the suit again. Um, there's one on sale though. There's one on sale from Dionese. It's a Misano D Air, originally twenty six hundred. Now at the ever present steal of fifty percent off in thirteen hundred. Yeah, they also really they're also bad. usually all which also means leather. that it costs them less than thirteen hundred to make that thing. And they were ch- well, this is a different model than the other one, but still um, profit margin. But at any rate, uh, and I don't, I obviously I'm not Dionese. I'm not Alpine Stars. I know how the technology works, and they're perfect. You know. But obviously, it won't. It doesn't hurt you if it were to randomly deploy. Because fucking Marquez is when his deployed in the pit. I bet you that wakes you up though. Like you know, he, he, he was hugging people. He's walking and goes boom. He's like, what? What? You look. You see him look around. He touches himself. He's like, uh, okay. So he unzips and he pulls the tops down so he can keep hugging people and doing his thing after he won the race. Um, and then as he did on the track, he punched everyone in the face and elbowed everybody. <laughs> Well, it's well. Also, it also helped that Marquez's entire competition was taken out by his teammate as he collected four riders. Is that Lorenzo? That was Lorenzo. Yep, he took out both Yamaha factory riders and factory Ducati, just by a low side. Uh, anyway, and also I, I just, uh, if you guys, and this is kind of like a poll, if you guys enjoy hearing motorcycle stuff or would like to hear more motorcycle stuff, Chance and I 
enjoy motorcycle things, even though the rest of the group is not as hip to it. Um, but if you enjoy it and you want us to actually do a podcast more along those lines, we'd be more than willing to, but we don't want to dive into that if like all three people that are listening right now <laughs> would like to learn yeah. more about that. So let us know. Talk to the uh, the man, the myth, the legend, the horsepower, and yeah, the pizza. We can make that happen. I mean, we can do motocross. I mean, you guys definitely have enough to cover a motocross, oh, I, motorcycle. I can talk we're, motorcycles. We're, we could cover days. Yeah, of motorcycles. Yeah, I love motorcycles. Um, um, well, if it, along those lines, we can also talk about safety that's come to motorcycles. We'll Meaning, do a motocross one when Parker's here because he raced too. Is he really? He did. But I'm just talking like in terms of like of, of sport bike stuff, anti wheelie control, ABS. I mean, you can even, you probably have something on all those technologies too, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go on that for the car side. But like all of that is re- relatively new to all right. motorcycles. But yeah, it's been around in cars for a little bit. It's gotten much better, but. So, safety's super cool. Everybody likes to be saying, safety's boring. Everybody likes to be safe. So, let's talk about shit that made that people used to make them faster. Because they decided to come up with something that no one else had ever heard of. This goes back so to, fucking crazy that no one else would have tried it. This goes back to the, how can I skirt the rules and get away with it? Oh, exactly. It's, it's, it's a, how can, I, what, how can I not break the rules, but... Go faster than everyone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I actually, by some research, found out that old like racing cars like i'm talking 1930s the initial races from like paris to nice or whatever in the 30s and 40s they made the cars narrower and the wheels and tires narrower so they could go faster because their engines were only making you know yeah 65 70 horsepower top speeds in the 60s and 70s if you you don't make more horsepower yeah lose weight and reduce downforce remember that reduce downforce so what do you what do you think happened in those early days rj let me let me ask you are you telling me that the vehicles turned into planes yeah very bad they rolled over they hit bumps and kind of skipped and flew and tossed and turned again as you said earlier these guys were driving you know wood rimmed steering wheels no collapsing columns and no kind of safety gear but to go faster, the, the first thing I could find about going quicker was a, a guy named Michael May in 1956 Nürburgring 1,000-kilometer race. Any relation to James May? No idea. Oh. He put a wing on his Porsche, an airfoil, after discovering that, you know, basically what we all did as a child, if you stick your hand out the window and flex it, if you tilt it the right way, it pushes down. And if you push your tires closer to the road and increase the, literally... You increase the G-force of you in relation to the ground and get better grip. This guy drove the entire 1,000 kilometers of the Nürburgring 24-hour with a wing over the cockpit. I mean, like, he's sitting in the seat of this Porsche Speedster with a wing two or three inches above his head. As soon as you start telling this story, that was the first thing that I thought of, is it literally looks like an APR wing. Like, they just put, poof, right on top, right in the dead center of the car. And he was completing laps 30 seconds faster than other Porsches with the same engine and, like, drive everything the same except they didn't have a wing. Because he could brake later and dive into corners faster and maintain grip. Downforce is witchcraft. Downforce is witchcraft. Downforce is free real estate. I'm trying to It's free real estate. Uh, the next big instance of abusive downforce that I can find is one of my favorites. And I'll be honest, I only know it's a thing because of Gran Turismo. 
But after some research, I found out just how interesting it is. There's a company in America in the late 1970s called Chaparral. What? Before you get to that, okay, I want to interject there. You may, because this is—I know what you're going with this, um, and we're gonna—I want to—I can put this with you. So in Formula One, there's a team called uh, the Brabham BT46. No, is... but the Chaparral was earlier. That's why I did it that way. Okay, okay, okay. Boom, <laughs> roasted. I'll let you talk about. Uh, I'll let you talk about the Brabham. Well, I mean, this way, well, once we whatever car we talk, we'll kind of give it a while, but. Go ahead. Some, somebody figured out in a wind tunnel way back in the day. If you take a wing, the thing that would lift an aircraft into the air and tilt it the other direction, it would shove you down. And somebody figured out if you lower the pressure under the car, that downforce would be exacerbated. So again, in the, in the 70s, Chaparral Racing made the 2J. And there was a hole in the regulations. And this is what I mean by skirting the rules. Everybody said you could have, I don't know the exact size, but you could have an engine of 350 cubic inch displacement naturally aspirated driving the car, right? They never said there was a limit on how many engines you could have at all, whatsoever. Oh. So what did Chaparral do but take a two-cylinder V-twin snowmobile engine and bolt it inside this car that drove an extremely large set of fans... That would create 1.4 G on the car while it was standing still. This is the era where downforce at 100 miles an hour was about 1.2 G. And this car using a two-stroke snowmobile engine would generate 1.25 G of downforce at every single speed. Let alone when it was moving fast. What was this called again? The Chaparral 2J. It had rear, like, wheel... Our Lord and Savior. Wheel covers that completely covered the wheels. It, it falls under the, the preface, affectionately known as a fan car. The fan car. And uh, just so you know, the Chaparral raced in one season and the FAI banned it. And said so you can only have one engine at all. Not just one engine that drives the wheels. Uh, well, and then and this is... And Talk this, about the Brabham. Well, That's so, a big deal. Well, the Brabham... Uh, is it follows a similar the similar thing? It uh, pretty much stole the idea of the sh- of the two J, and has a giant fan in the back of the car uh, that it would use to suck air up from the bottom to force the car into the ground. But they what did they tell the FIA that it did? They told them that it cooled the engine. Yeah, because yeah. it well, pulled air through the well, engine. It's right. actually very interesting. Um, when they so they went to the first race and it won, obviously. Um, also, weirdly enough, you know who was the team principal for Robin at the time? It was Bernie fucking Eccleston. That dirty piece of shit. Okay, um, I smell collusion. I don't understand who Bernie, Bernie Eccleston. Eccleston. Bernie he was Eccleston. president of F1 for a well, long time. No, he was the owner of, of Formula F1 1. For and a he long is, time. He is notorious for being... Shady. Oh, absolutely. And the guy was... A, I, I mean, it was not a well-liked individual. Are we talking like... Um, Roger no, Goodell. Ne- never, no, no, we're not going to get into football, and I'm I'm going back on what I was going to say because I'm potentially going to go work for them. So, but I mean the the Bra- I'm looking at the Brabham car right now. I mean it looks like your idea of like an early F1 car, like big meaty tires, like very thin cockpit, big meaty claws, <laughs> and then <laughs> we just got to do subtle SpongeBob references for the rest of the time. Um, but then it's got a giant... It was giant... an Alaskan bull worm! I'm your biggest fan. 
You brought this upon yourself. Right. <laughs> but it's got like it's got a huge fan on the back. It literally looks like a boat propeller yep. on the back of this car. They literally said you couldn't use the, the big term is and this comes into contention even currently, except for DRS, which we'll cover in a minute. The FIA has a rule that says you cannot have a driver operated aerodynamic device. Yeah. You cannot have anything that the driver can interact with that changes the aerodynamic function of the car. That's how they got away with the fan. It wasn't driver implemented. It was a big fan, sucked air from the bottom to cool the engine. I've done air quotes like three times, not realizing this is a podcast and none of you can see me. But to cool the engine, in reality, sucked all the air out from under it and made it stick to the road like glue. And they're now the company that makes the new Brabham. If people are right, it's the same family, lineage of family. No, uh, this is way different. Uh, let me let me finish like, one thing about the the Brabham, you the GT. Uh, oh yes, that is Brabham. Okay, yeah, the Brabham yeah. GT. Let, let me think about let me finish my thing about the BT forty six B, called known as affection as the fan car. But when this car, it when it raced, it won by over thirty seconds against a guy in second place, and the entire Formula One uh, world was completely up in arms. Like this is outrageous. Like you're not allowed to race this car. This is this car is unfair. It throws rocks everywhere. It's too fast. Picks up dust. Oh yeah. Well, the fan in the back of the thing also would just throw shit all over the track. Including if you're next to the car, like you're you're being passed or trying to overtake or whatever. If you're next to it, you're just getting slung with rocks and mud and dirt and whatever. Um. And they actually initially said the car could keep racing because it technically didn't break the rules, but every single Formula One team was like, ah, absolutely not, you can't do that. And the FI reached an agreement with with Bernie Eccleston saying that he would just retire the car. Um, the car, uh, Nicky Loud also drove this car, by the way. Nicky uh, Loud was the one who won the uh, 78 Swedish Grand Prix driving the fan car, the only race it participated in. Yeah, because it was super, super broken. Well, the F- yeah, like you said, the FIA said, nah, this is temporarily banned while you investigate. And then they said two races later, well, you can technically run it, but everyone was like, Well, the, no. the, the problem is also is Bernie, uh, they threatened to pull support for Bernie Eccleston, who needed it at the time. And he's like, all right, well, I guess I'm forced to, to give this up. Um, and that, and, and Formula One, if you look through a lot of just history in Formula One and racing as a whole, a lot of it really is just, wow, this isn't written in the rule book yet. I'm going to build this car that's, it's going to get written in, uh, when I'm done, but I know nobody has thought of this yet and I'm going to fucking use it and I'm going to win with it. Well, and I think that that's, and I mean, I, I've always liked that about racing is that it's the, you know, proving grounds for, hey, we're going to try something new in our road cars eventually. Like, they push the envelope there, and then it trickles back. It's oh, like yeah, it the, always trickles down. The first disc brakes on any vehicle were a Jaguar or something. I actually didn't look this up, but I know I'm pretty sure it's true. D-type? I think it was a D... Uh, D-type had is. the first disc brakes uh, during a 24-hour of Le Mans. First reliable disc brakes, I should say. And it completely annihilated the competition because it could actually cool. Because the alternative was drum brakes at the time, which could handle the speed. Because, you know, we're talking like the 40s and 50s where machining processes weren't nearly what they are today. And there wasn't like carbon ceramic brakes and, you know, all of that jazz. But I think it was an old Jaguar that had the first reliable disc brakes on a car and it won the race. C-type. C-pre-D. What year is that? 50s? 53. But... you know, and nobody thinks about it, but all of these innovations start in racing to go faster and trickle down to the car you can buy at the dealer today. 
And then they're like, oh, if actually if we lessen this up a bit and make it less aggressive, it'll last a lot longer. And disc brakes are awesome, by the way. Um, the other, like, weird, if we're talking F1 skirting of the rules or other intense skirting of the rules, the first, like, 1977, the Lotus Type 78 was one of the first cars to exploit the Venturi effect. Yeah. Not to even talk about where you reduce the airflow under a car. And if the, the Venturi effect, like true actual definition, is a reduction in fluid pressure when a liquid flows through a constricted or choked space. But it moves faster and lowers the pressure. Um, if you didn't know, air is technically a liquid when it comes to flu like dynamics. My favorite way to think about air. Air is a liquid. It's solid. Um, you, didn't, you didn't get the three-edge joke there. Air is liquid. It's solid. It's all three states of matter. Anyway. Um, <laughs> the Venturi effect. Unfounded. The Lotus Type 78, they were playing within the wind tunnel, and he noticed that the lower he dropped the car, the more the downforce over the vehicle got. And then figured out if he put small side skirts made out of cardboard on the vehicle, he could get the uh, Gs to uh, go higher to like 1.1, 1.2 G of downforce on the vehicle at, you know, 100 miles an hour. And that was Venturi events, and eventually Venturi events were banned on almost every form of actual racing. You can sculpt your floorboard to move air faster, but you cannot have a vent that leads from the lower plane of the craft to the top plane of the craft, because that reduces pressure and makes your car super fast and basically illegal because you're abusing physics at that point. Mm. So why don't we see them on cars? Do you want to have a back seat where you can take that third person you're driving out to get ice cream? Or do you want a vent going from the floor to the ceiling? Yeah. So why can't I have a vent on the side of the vehicle going from the you, middle you do. and coming up? Um, you do. Realistically, you have, I don't know about your car specifically, but road cars in general have slots cut out in front of the brakes that allow air to move into the bumper and exit on the side of the wheel disturbing the amount of turbulence created by them hitting mm. the opening of a the lot wheel. of see i'm thinking of like okay have a, a scoop underneath the car that comes up from the floorboards up like say along the back of the back seats and through the top of the trunk to remove air from the bottom of the it becomes sketchy too impractical and probably i'm sure there's a safety regulation against that to be honest with you mm. uh a lot of supercars have a similar technologies with their... Well, like, like, let's look at the... Uh, for example, a good example would probably be the Ford GT with its crazy era thing. But the, oh, yeah, the, 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 the biggest examples, though... No, it's poor... Or not Porsche, I'm sorry. Lamborghini with the Huracan Performante and the SVJ have that wing system. The active air. ALA. ALA is based on that same concept. It takes air from the bottom of the car and stalls the wing by letting pressure enter the bottom of the car, travel up the rear, and out the back of the wing. It both stalls the wing and creates a venturi effect on the vehicle. Huh. And then when it closes, the venturi effect goes away and you get more more down for it's a it's a balance. Right. You can cut so much airflow and gain actual mecha not mechanical grip, but like physical downforce on the vehicle versus abusing creating low pressure zones under the car. There's so much science and nerd shit in this There's podcast. a lot of physics. So I mean obviously that's and then that can be used in the opposite effect of fuel economy. Which is one of my favorite topics. Well, that well, the problem with okay, the opposite effect though, if you do that to a car, you're trying to get for fuel economy. The the car, if you hit a light breeze, you can blow the car off this fucking road. Because that means it's being lifted off of the ground. That means it has very little traction to the ground. Which yes, you will get better fuel economy because you have a lot less rolling resistance. But I guess I don't mean due to having less rope. Due to having well, I mean it in drag coefficient. 
What's well? Okay, so what's the enemy of speed? Drag. What's the enemy uh, enemy of efficiency? Drag. The enemy of speed of the police. <laughs> it's not my fault you got passed off by a state trooper that was like slow down dude hey he didn't say he was like yeah hey, have, nice, have a nice night and I was like alright man uh, yes sir <laughs> that's um, great I really think that like downforce was a huge thing in the in the racing but the problem was they put so much downforce to gain grip that they would lose top speed and that segues us into DRS in Formula One cars. Speaking of, can I just hop? I looked through and I googled the most aerodynamic cars you can buy in 2018. Yeah. Jeep Wrangler. Bro, less aerodynamic than a cow. Isuzu Caliber. No. Oh man, even worse. No, no, no. Give me toss, toss me a couple guesses. Chevy Corvette. Okay. Don't don't say anything. Give. How long do I have? Uh, I'll go to Bailey, and then you have to Ooh, go. Actually, no, no. All right. uh, a Tesla. Okay. Aerodynamic. Are we talking talking high speed, least amount of drag? Just uh, lowest oh, drag coefficient overall. Oh, no, Prius is a very low drag coefficient. Prius or P1? Uh, I wouldn't say P1. you got to realize they do that for downforce. Huracan. There's going to be some resistance over power. You're saying Huracan... You're saying... Oh, God. I mean, a Prius, a Tesla... Uh, uh, it's going to be a Zonda or a Pagani or my something guess, weird. Yeah, my guess, like, I'm, I'm, I was trying to think. I'm, like, thinking Honda Insight, Honda, something along those lines. Are you ready? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The new 2019 Mercedes-Benz A-Class. Seriously? 0.22 drag coefficient. The one behind that is the CLA from 2013 is also 0.22. And then a 5 Series. And then the Tesla Model 3 is 0.23. But that's so wild. So we're, we're looking a at we're looking hundreds of a difference. Yeah, yeah. But All still, right. it's like, if you like, I would have never guessed that. It doesn't matter if you win by an inch or a mile. Oh Winning's God. winning. As long as your drag coefficient is one hundredth of a... Uh, I yeah, don't know what the On that list, though, what card do you want? Between an A-Class, a whatever, and a Model 3. A Model S is more, is just as low in the drag coefficient as a Prius. Which is and I'd rather have the Model S every day of the week. Yes, sir. Than an S-Class? Than a Prius. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, S-Class is actually right behind a Prius and an Iconic. But still, like that's just like the opposite way of like, okay, if you take this in extreme, essentially, the goals of, like, I think of efficiency in the way that you think of fuel economy like okay if you were to put a big motor in something that's also aerodynamic and efficient it would be faster than if you put you know i just like to think of that as efficiency but yeah no you're right 100 percent, you're right that's like that's why drs and f1 racing works the downforce gives you grip and if you ever watch an f1 race if you don't it's called drag reduction system and on long straightaways under certain conditions you can open the flap of your rear wing, and that stalls the wing. And stalling is the physics term for the downforce created by the wing is negated by a change in its surface or angle, angle of attack. It turns the wing off. Right. turns the wing off and lets you go super fast in a straightaway because there's nothing s- disturbing the air on your car. But don't try to turn. Yeah, but don't try to turn. <laughs> well, actually, in the F1 cars, as soon as you lift off, the throttle closes. Oh, really? Yeah. That makes sense. It's a feature, yeah. Never yeah. lift. Never left. You crash in a $2 million Mercedes chassis, or am I crashing a $2 million Mercedes chassis? 
It'll be no bueno. Nothing matters. We are on a floating rock. Death is inevitable. <laughs> um, I, I gotta stop talking like that. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna have people I'm gonna scare calling. all these people away. <laughs> and with the other, like, crossing over between your golden child of fuel efficiency and actual, like, racing importance is, like, curves and brake regeneration. Curse's kinetic energy reduction system, and when you push the brakes on an F1 car, it charges an electric battery, and when you come out of the turn and you push a button on your steering wheel, it uses that electricity to give you, you know, 100 extra horsepower on corner exit or on a straightaway that you might need to pass someone else. Uh, the McLaren P1, Ferrari LaFerrari, and 918 all do something extremely similar. They fill the gap in their power band with electric power. And F1 cars have pioneered on that. It's an integral part of current F1 racing is the Kurs and MGUK. Which I don't remember what it stands for, but I think it converts that electricity into hearse purrs. Now, have we seen, other than the new Benz in Line 6, have we seen that trickle down into, shout out Reagan, trickle down into any other... Cars? Yeah. Kurs? Yeah. Yeah, like the th- hyper hybrid hypercar 3. Right, right, but I mean other than that. NSX. Have we seen every Tesla? NSX, every Tesla. Break regeneration. I wouldn't say, well, here's my thing though. I Uh, wouldn't say in terms of the shaky flashlights. His BMW. BMW. It does. Is it really? You want to know what else does? You can buy a Buick Regal with E assist, 12 horsepower electric motor sandwiched between the torque converter and output shaft. Oh, GM, cut that shit out. Eco assist. You can buy a hybrid Tahoe. Let me know when you want to cut that shit out. Buying a Tahoe for the wrong reasons. The, other, the only other cheating racing things I'm going to talk about, there's two and they're quick, is one in the 90s in uh, rally car racing. Celica GT4. The Celica GT4 built by Toyota. They basically put a restrictor plate. And a restrictor plate is, uh, it cuts off the amount of airflow that an engine can get and reduce its actual power output. Think of it as if you tried to breathe every breath you had through a straw is the same idea as a restrictor plate and when they built this Celica (laughs) Celica rally car they put in a system that only when you drove the bolts through the turbocharger with the wastegate open all the way and they got about six more pounds of boost during those races and annihilated the competition with their rally car because they found a way to cheat effectively and in 1997 McLaren had what they call the the back pedal the back pedal and what the back pedal did is there was a, a switch on the steering wheel. If you've ever seen an F1 steering wheel, there are about 40 switches. So one extra doesn't really catch anyone's eye. But it was only labeled L and R, left and right. And what this switch did is change which... Was it an F and R? That was a rear brake. L, L and R for the rear brake. Oh. So there was a gas pedal, a brake pedal, and a second brake pedal. And when you hit the second brake pedal, it only braked the wheel that was selected on the steering wheel, basically allowing you to turn through a turn. Let's say you're making a left-hand turn. If you brake the inside rear wheel of a racing car or any car, it will pull the nose towards the inside of the corner, allowing you to go faster. McLaren put this in their cars, and the only reason they got caught is a photographer. I, th- I thought I had his name. But I don't. But he discovered when he was photographing vehicles exiting on Monza, which is notorious for its high-speed banked corners, they would use the inside brake. And, and most drivers would lift and coast, take their foot off the gas pedal, and decelerate through the turn and accelerate out. 
in his photos, once they were developed, he noticed that the McLarens inside brake rotors were glowing as they were I exiting. Was, I thought it was that he found it because he put the camera... And when he went into the pits uh, after that race, he stuck his camera inside the actual cockpit of the vehicle and snapped the picture and found a picture of a gas pedal and two separate brake pedals, one that controlled only the left or the right, depending on steering wheel switch, brake pedal. So do cars not... I'm just trying to think, because you can do that now through... ABS. ECU and ABS tuning, right? Yeah, that's why the Volkswagen GTI has what they call a pseudo the braking limited torque vectoring. But it's not legal in racing, Formula One racing. It's, yeah, it's oh, not legal okay. in racing. So, like, you can't ABS just... isn't a thing in it. Was, was it Koenigsegg that had the, the front and rear brake pedal? Was it Koenigsegg that did that? Old Koenigsegg would be from right to left, gas, front brake, both brakes, rear brake, clutch. Fuck no. I'm not sure, <laughs> I'm not sure no. how it's controlled, but I and I listen to so many different automotive podcasts that I can't remember. I want to say that it was the Dale Earnhardt Jr. We're an hour and 12 in. Um, what? Was I not supposed to say? We try to keep it low. Now the audience knows how long we've been recording for, and they can look down and look on their own fucking timer and see how long they've been listening for. It's going to be a, a minute, an hour and 13. An hour, there you are. Yeah, there we go. Unless he edits it, which you won't. No. <laughs> but uh, I want to bring up the fact that we are 73 minutes in, and I have not dropped an F-bomb yet, so that's a record. That fucking sucks. Um, <laughs> yeah, fuck that, man. I'm trying to... New, new year, new me. But we're like six months late. Yeah, but you don't give a fuck. No, I don't. <laughs> um, fuck, I ain't giving. I, I feel like Earnhardt was talking about there's ways to control the braking in NASCAR that they can lock different. I don't remember. I, NASCAR? I don't think it's NASCAR. It's not very different pedals, but yeah, I don't. Like Never mind. Not, forget I said anything. I know I heard something somewhere. I forget what form of racing it was, but they well, had... You, and then, I mean, you have F1. Or maybe he was talking back in the day they had... I don't... Maybe. I don't remember. Like a brake bias those, those good old boys doing NASCAR did some wild shit, and they were, like, just rednecking it. Richard Petty used to fill his roll cage with fuel to have extra fuel for the race. He used to drop Do metal you know how BBs... how sketchy that is? You know, you know how awesome winning is? He used to load the car up with metal BBs and then drop them on the track during the race. So whenever they weighed the car, it was legal at the end of the race. Yeah. Like, so he, like, Richard Petty was a genius. Cars was a, must be so heavy. Not so light. So heavy. Uh... Yeah. Yeah. Richard Petty was a fucking genius. Or his engineers were. And he didn't care about cheating at all. He would cheat. He would do whatever he could to fucking win. Also, Superbird. I'm sure Superbird was, like, Super was banned from racing. Oh, I know. Because of the wing. Yeah. Which is why 446 pack and Hemi Superbirds are worth a fortune. I got banned from racing, too, because I had such a big wing. Ooh, that's... Um, wow! That's, that escalated quick. Custom I, even, I, I even have so many more notes. We're never gonna get. So to I have that. a I have a terrible motorsport or er, vehicle innovation. I don't. What was the, I don't remember the camera. Saab came out with a clutchless manual. Uh, uh, the Servotronic is what it was called. So yeah, this car it was and a boy. It was bad. All right, if anybody ever you know you guys know what E gear is in a Lamborghini. Uh, e gear in a Lamborghini is pretty much don't use reverse because it's not worth it. Because you're not going to back up. 
and, and if you're gonna be on a hill, put it to the floor. Yeah. So, this is like E gear, but actually worse. You have to do it yourself. Not possible. It's possible. Uh, I think it's possible. The clutch, the clutch is computer controlled in a SOP, so it's already not reliable at all. But it's made with jets. And then it's got, and then you're trying to put your car in reverse and then hit the gas with no clutch pedal, like someone just cut it off. And it was, it, air quotes people, it worked. Not really. So it's essentially like a bad DSG. Uh, bad, yeah. I guess about like bad gear. So you're no, just gonna no, no, hold no. the gas and it like no, no, lets no, no, the clutch out. The problem, yeah, but the problem is it wasn't like paddles. It was a, a like a, a slush box. Like you could left and up was one, and left and down was two. So you'd sit at a stoplight and put it left and up, and it would sit there, and you'd hit the gas pedal, and it would barely take off. And when you went to shift, it had no idea because you were, weren't supposed to take your foot off the gas. So the car would have to think about when it, when it detected that slip out of one to cut the throttle, put the clutch in, let you select two, use the computer to calculate that you actually selected two, match the revs accordingly, and then electronically let the clutch out. So it was like a really sketchy SMG. There's no reason to have it in a car. That's an and SMG with an actual H-pad. And they basically yeah. said, including in the owner's manual for that car, that reversing on hills above... Five degrees should not be attempted. Please drive forward into these circumstances and use neutral to get out of the space. Don't burn that clutch. Because it has no idea. Yeah, it's bad. It's very bad. Very bad. It's so dumb. Oh, it but is it's bad. it's Sob. Sob's wild. You know what my dad told me growing up? So like, you know what Sob stands for? Yeah, I do. I do. Can I guess? What does Sob stand for, Blair? Something an asshole buys. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, Saab makes some really cool shit, but they're no, fucking No, Saab makes precisely no cool shit. Not anymore. They're, they're gone. Oh, don't start me. I like Saab. Why? Because like he this. likes junk. Listen, I like the sport <laughs> arrow wagons. No, no, you can say like. whatever you want, but he... he Bailey got you. He likes, <laughs> he likes junk. junk. Listen, just because my motorcycle doesn't run in the rain and the cobalt keeps going through... Does the new motorcycle not run in the rain? No, that new that new motorcycle, the the track bike will run underwater. That fucker don't care. But, it did run new no, I, I'm talking about the new SV. It ran no, with water in it. No, the SV650 <laughs> did give him a misfire in the rain. No, it didn't give him a misfire. It shut the front. The new bank one? And, yeah, it shut the front cylinder. The new bank one off. does the same thing. Yeah. Well. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let Let's back up here. Since it's been a month since we've recorded one of these, RJ had an SV650. An, old, an older first-gen carburetor. And then he sold it, and he bought another SV650, How which is an O2. was it, RJ? Like six. So this newer model is fuel-injected. You know, which I it, thought was going to sell. But it, it, it still doesn't like water. But the problem is the motor's a V-twin, and one of the cylinders is towards the front wheel. And there's only... In, unless you, if you've been 07 or earlier, there's only a single spark plug. And what happens when you ride in the there's rain... There's only one spark plug? Per cylinder. Oh. Per cylinder. If you, yeah, if you had 07 or newer, you get dual spark plugs per cylinder. Because of this exact problem. It would sh- you oh. would fling water off the rear wheel into the spark plug cylinder. And then it would What short- happens when water's in there, Chance? It, it grounds out, doesn't it? It shorts out. And it doesn't work. So it becomes an SV325. Yeah, the, the SV325 mod. How many problems you got? A lot. A decent amount. <laughs> I have literally 50% of the problems. I, I got I got 99 I... problems, oh! but... Oh, and it, never mind. Yeah. Um, RJ, how's the new Civic Si? It's good. Oh, man. I feel so like I, much to talk about. So, I feel like... So, here's the thing. 
back to the SV thing. All I gotta do is break into is take the motor apart again, fill it all the way <laughs> all to I the top of the take, cylinder. Take the engine apart. Not really. I just gotta take the the fairings off and stuff like that. Put dielectric grease in there because what happens is the water does sit in there, and then I have to try to buy an extender for the flap that's supposed to block the front of the cylinder. Didn't you try with the last bike? Yeah, but it was a metal plate and it was a little bit different. This one's actually gonna. It'll work. It'll work. It'll work. Anyway. Let's go on to the only this thing. Me aligning my car with string. It'll work. It'll work. It'll work. It'll work. <laughs> you know what's sick? Because none of my bikes shut the cylinders off in the rain. No, because you have you a lot of extra cylinders. You know your car works perfectly and you never drive it. Yeah, mm. pretty cool too. But you know what I do drive? The Stop. shit out of that Civic. I was talking to Shannon on the phone and I was like, I feel like I'm just constantly putting gas in this, but I get like 35 miles to the gallon. She goes, because you're driving the shit out of it. I guess so. I have like, I've owned it two and a half weeks and I got 1,200 miles on it. So I'm, uh, I'm driving a good Listeners, bit. RJ bought a 2019 Civic Si. It's a photo. Photo. Photos for, for how many hoes? Uh, one and some one, puppers. One and some dogs. No hoes. And uh, Chipotle. Four Polo doors for more whores and one, two doors for one important whore. That yep. it is. If you ask nicely. Mm-hmm. We're running a motorcycle. Take the Time to off. trade in for a 335. <laughs> <laughs> buy yourself a wagon. You can have I'll a whole bunch I'll just buy Alex's E38. I'll tell you what. Riding in Brittany's wagon back from D.C., I was exhausted. Don't really know why. It was, it was a long day. I started yeah, driving. Took a nap. <laughs> driving. Started driving at 5 in the morning and drove the whole five and a half hours there. Walked around for five hours. Drove three hours home. And I was like, Britt. Can you drive for a little bit? And what did I do? I got in the back of that wagon, folded the rear seat down, and completely laid down, like full prone, head on pillow, sleeping in the back of three series wagon. But Blair, wagons are ugly, and I don't know why you'd ever buy one. Why wouldn't you just buy a four-door? Well, well that's people, just because you have a tiny penis, and that's no, not my fault. Hold on, I'm imitating people out in the world. I, on the other hand, have a huge love for wagons. And I think that third row seats facing the opposite direction are horrible for crash safety, but are quite possibly the most neato thing in the world because you can just like send single fingered gestures to the drivers behind you. We'll let you know how that works in Oregon in two weeks. So back to innovations. Uh, <laughs> but I do want to cover homie going to Oregon. Do some dumb shit. Yeah, we going cool to do dumb shit with cool people. Well, we can save the updates for the end of the podcast. Well, yeah, well, we're at an hour homie, and twenty right we now. We are past my bedtime, so we're gonna. What we're is it? Fucking seven thirty at night. <laughs> well, he's not talking about me. He's talking about him. Yeah, seven twenty-five then, huh? Yeah, but yeah, give us the updates on on uh, on what's going on. Okay, on, yeah, on it, it's been a while. Um, our friend Mark went out to visit our friend Joe, who now lives in Oregon. Um. Joe and I are doing the Gambler 500 at the end of June, and Joe bought a, I don't know what year it is, it's an S210, Let's if call you it know an what, I think it's an O2, but W210, it, it's a W210 E-class, E-class but O5, the wagon is the O5. S210. I don't know, it's hard it is a E320 wagon, it's got the third row seat that faces in reverse, and um, I actually just put on Instagram like 20 minutes ago, Joe wired a power inverter into it so I can charge camera equipment in the middle of the woods in Oregon. Um, Joe's dad is also flying to Oregon with me. 
Um, supposedly, he has a lift for this wagon, plus 27-inch tires. Not the dad, Joe. No, not not Joe's dad, but <laughs> Joe's Joe Joe's dad has, is taking it as carry-on. No. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we're going to do the Gambler 500. I'm going to do videos and photos and all sorts of stuff. Going to have a good time. Uh... I need a vacation, so that's going to be cool. And you need um, YouTube content. I, I do need YouTube content. Um, again, Get the homie ideas. Why the hell did we YouTube your Subaru? Well, I was going to, but I figured I would annoy you guys, so we didn't. Um, no, I've just been real candid. Yeah, well, the Subaru, uh, that was a whole issue. I had issues with that. Um, we're almost done fixing the issues with that, finally. Yeah, one more step. Uh, well, I gotta do the exhaust and the calipers. calipers. So, chance. Don't you thank you so much to um, Blair Stefan's family for letting me use their garage and lift because it made everything a hell of a lot easier. Um, and then I will have YouTube content because we're gonna do the charge pipes and the tune on the 435. And I have all sorts of other videos coming for that. Um, somebody that I know is building an RWB Porsche in like two months. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm going to be involved with the filming of that if I'm still allowed to be. I don't think I pissed them off yet. So um, give it time. Yeah. We got two months. <laughs> um, and then... After that, we got H2O. So that's just stuff that's oh, to come. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah, wow, brother. Yo, we getting impounded right before we go to Japan. It's going to be sick. Oh, yeah, and then the homies are going to Japan without me. So, um... Create a YouTube video out there. Do we, some we, we can try and produce some content. You should. And then I'll we try to... record a podcast on the six-hour train. Well, no, no, no. We're, we're, no, we're going we're gonna to end up in the middle of a fucking mountain somewhere with our car. All right, so we're going to Japan in October, and our plan... Is that we're gonna on the day we get the day after we get in we're gonna go on Sunday the Monday following that we're going to a morning which is a car rental company outside of Tokyo and we are renting an FD an S15 a 33 GTST R33 GTST Skyline and is that it there's one more there's one more toss up right now uh, we're basically all gonna get those cars and swap off. Like drive around, and but, cars. but so once we get these cars that, Bailey, that quit morning Monday him off, you were invited. I you was invited <laughs> and I declined, and now you feel bad. Things have changed, and I'm pissed about it. But we will be take. We're basically we're driving across the country. We're gonna hit as many tailgates as we can. We're gonna go to Ebisu. We're gonna go to uh, uh, Formula One Grand Prix. Oh well, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm thinking. I'm thinking about. Second. I'm thinking just we're doing the cars. Um, Hood. Rat shit yeah. with don't get arrested in a foreign friends. country because that kind of sucks. Huh? Do you speak Japanese? You can't. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> the one finger salute, attaboy. Uh, no, in, in simple extra. terms, it's not nice. No. Okay. okay, so it's gonna make you speak Japanese. Japanese like, we're sorry. I speeches for like a quarter of a second. Like, I like. I like at the end of this podcast, just. Off the rails and just but, down the fucking... So there's a lot of stuff to look forward to. I can tell you how to say like bitch wait in the car in sign language. <laughs> can you say bitch wait in the car in Japanese? No. Ah, well. Unless yeah, we should learn that one, Blair. But, uh, but yeah, a lot of stuff coming up. A lot of things okay, changing. Google, I'm excited. Tell RJ he sucks in Japanese. Oh, I was waiting for it to do it. I was pretty excited. But, yeah, we'll keep you posted. Bailey's gonna keep producing shit. In Japanese, you would say... 
I actually did not fix it up. One more time. RJ, you suck. That says, Japanese. tell RJ he sucks. Oh, man. <laughs> okay. End it there. Yeah, we're going to end it here. Um, wait, wait, wait. Bailey, are you seriously watching porn by yourself? <laughs> no! Nah, I'm, I'm with, with my boys! boys! We'll see you guys next week. Uh, follow at Horsepower Pizza anywhere that you can follow at Horsepower Pizza. And I'll have some hood rat shit for you guys. To <laughs> Everybody's still dying. <laughs> Oh, fuck. I love y'all. So Bye. Much.